This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass. Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open. Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm one of your hosts, Don Banks, joined by my co-host, Nick Stevens. Good morning, Nick. What is the Red Sox magic number now? Is it down to 10? I think it's actually uh, 12. Yeah, I think it's a dozen or so. It's uh, actually 18, as in the number of games they have left against the Yankees. What a way to start off this, quote, renewed rivalry. It was The it was, final, Red Sox, two touchdowns, the Yankees, an extra point. I was, uh, as I am wont to do, I was uh, moaning the lack of more runs in the first inning last night, thinking that they missed a giant opportunity when I did not know they were going to put two touchdowns on the board in the long run anyway, before the seventh inning, I might add. Uh, it's a long season. There's 18 more of these puppies to go against the Yankees. But that was kind of fun to spend a, a uh, April evening watching that one unfold. How, a, how, how else can you Tuesday night with that kind of pop? I mean, tell me what else you want. First victor, first game of the against the Yankees for the season. Chris Sale pitches awesome. Yep. Check. Yep. Giancarlo Stanton strikes out several times. Uh, actually, including th- the first two when it mattered. Funny thing is, uh, before the game even began, he had two strikes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, Mookie Betts. Willie goes Mays. off. Willie goes Mays Jr. off. Willie Jack Mays Swan Jr. scores five runs. One of only, I think, about a dozen guys in history to ever score five runs against the Yankees in a game. Even a big, booming two-run double almost missed a slam. Yeah. Or just missed a slam but by that, J.D. That, Martinez. And when he plays that way, when Mookie Betts has the full arsenal on display that's when you get excited about him as the franchise player or a cornerstone of the young red Sox. i don't know how much longer they're going to continue to be the baby Sox or the young red Sox, but that's the potential of this team and hey nine and one yeah it's please, um, please and thank you well even better they're not winning three two two to one uh they've started to really hit obviously they squeaked out the opener uh last thursday a game that i attended at least for part of the time it was freezing um but they they found a way down two nothing in the ninth to f- pull that one out in extra innings. But they still only won three two. Then the next day they hit, they blew out the Rays on Saturday. Then they the epic six run eighth inning comeback Sunday. They and, owed Tampa one and, of those. And now last night, so long season, but a very good start. And you have to you have to like the early Cora versus Boone uh, comparison is a clear check mark in in number twenty's favor. You got to love the fact that already the New York Post is taking pot shots. With the Yankees' wonky start and losing record early on in the season, the back cover of the post today, boondoggle. All right. Love it. Enough of my Sox obsession. This is an NFL-centric podcast. We will get back to it. Um, Our guest today, it's a really good one, Gil Brandt. We've had him on before. I believe we had him on last spring when we were just cranking up the Cover 2 podcast. Um, But he basically is the godfather of the NFL draft. It's like, I don't know, it'd be like talking – 
politics with Bob Dole or somebody who's been around for about seven decades. Gil has um, literally seen it all with the NFL draft, a longtime Dallas Cowboys top personnel executive. Uh, he now writes for NFL.com. He's on Sirius XM Radio, Moving the Chains. He's just kind of an open history book when it comes to all things NFL and the draft, and the draft is especially his baby. Um, very coolly, this time the draft is in Dallas, his hometown. Uh, we're going to talk to Gil later in the podcast and also pick his brain for all the latest buzz, um, including that Josh Allen to number one Cleveland rumor slash reporting that keeps building steam as we go. Um, Wanted to mention ever so briefly, uh, yesterday wrote a column uh, for you Patriots fans out there on how this year's Patriots draft, I believe, is the most consequential draft for New England easily since 2000. And obviously, that was the Brady year. They didn't even know how consequential that was going to be. But two ones and two twos for the first time since 98, the needs at Air apparent quarterback, offensive tackle, probably a outside aggressive playmaking linebacker, maybe even a cornerback. Uh, my premise is the Pats need to win this draft. They need to hit two or three um, of their top five picks, which are all in uh, rounds one through three. Your your take on that? Couldn't agree with you more. Well, I, I know we discussed this off air about how important this draft was and how. No, there's not going to be any crazy, sexy trade-up. No, the Odell Beckham stuff that traveled around the, Dream fa on. the fanosphere when the Patriots traded Brandon Cooks, which is still just, a, I think, a phenomenal deal, and they got such value out of him. This is, the, this is the cupboard restocking. This is not only making sure that they have the depth, which they lacked last year and bit them in the arse in Super Bowl 52, now they'll have the depth going forward with an excellent squad in 2018, but they're also going to be building for 19, 20, 21, 22. I posture that I think, even though this isn't something they can come out and say, that I think McDaniels will have even just a slightly larger say in who they draft offensively because there could be a running back or a wide receiver coming off the board. They've worked out the kid from SMU, the kid I like out of Texas A&M, Christian Kirk, and they might be grabbing another running back too, and there's – who knows? It we, would stand a reason to let Josh kind of, <laughs> right? not to go all Parcellian, but to pick a little of the groceries yeah, just since he might be coaching them. Belichick makes the list, and then, you, you know, you go grocery shopping. Is there anything else you want? Like, you get the list, and, like, before we go. Or you split up the story. Say, you take those two aisles. I'll take the four over here. Yeah, I'll do grains and dairy. You do produce right. and uh, veggies. Right. Yeah. I, I can uh, see that. I, I think read a really a smart... good one uh, from Todd McShay. He had an, he has a tackle, a cornerback, a linebacker, a defensive end, and then a quarterback going. I I could easily see the Patriots just running straight through and stocking the D. For yeah, a while. and I the quarterback might not come till sixty three, which is uh, I think prime territory for like a Kyle Laletta of Richmond. Um, other other people think Mike White, the Western Kentucky quarterback. Um, but yeah, they could they could definitely start with a tackle. Maybe then go with an outside linebacker, somebody like Lorenzo Carter of Georgia, or if uh, Rashawn Evans might still be there mm -hmm. of Alabama. Um, then turn to maybe a cornerback with that first, second-round pick, which is, I think, uh, 43. And then at 63, maybe you take your, your quarterback. It all could go completely different than that, but I do think this is a foundational draft, a cornerstone draft, not for 2018. This isn't necessarily about the 2018 team. This is about 2019 and beyond, I believe. Um, anyway, check it out. It's on The Athletic, um, and uh, I wanted to give 
Pats fans a heads up on that. Not a ton going on in the league, but there was one headline, Nick, I want to get your take on. The Richie Incognito retirement, it surprised me. Uh, first of all, he was asked to take a pretty significant pay cut by the Bills. This is a Bills offensive line that suddenly does not look formidable. Alex Wood had to retire their center of about eight or nine years because— Great center, too. Because it was in a neck issue, I believe. Yep. Uh, Cordy Glenn, their one-time starting left tackle or right tackle, uh, I forget, was traded to yep. Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now Richie Incognito, who's made, I want to say, three Pro Bowls, maybe some of them as an alternate in Buffalo, in his renaissance, his, his uh, post-Jonathan Martin section of his career— um, this surprised me, and he says it's clearly medical. He says it's a doctor's report that says his his kidneys and his what was it? His kidneys and something else is shutting down, and that's serious stuff. I actually got to know Richie a little bit because I went up to Buffalo a couple years ago, about this time of year, and did a piece. Maybe it was May for Sports Illustrated. Did a video with him. Kind of talking about his fresh start in Buffalo. And now, how, was this post-Jonathan Martin? It was post-Jonathan okay. Martin. It was after his first season in Buffalo okay. when he had made the Pro Bowl as an alternate, and he kind of had remade his image a little. And I, I spent some time up there in in, in May minicamp uh, schedule and talked to him and did something on camera with him and wrote a story. I texted him yesterday to try to actually get five minutes with him for the podcast this morning did not hear back i'm sure he was kind of swarmed but it says liver and kidney liver Ooh. thank you kevin uh and liver and kidney that's nothing to mess so, around sounds with sounds like an alcoholic's problem it, it really kind of does uh, actually it sounds like it's not, these sound like the problems of somebody who's probably been funneling pain reliever pills anti-inflammatories and perhaps be- steroids early in knows? his career yeah could, could, yeah could well that that could be yeah messing around with any other part of your system but if your liver has to clean your blood, and then you've got to get funnel everything out to the kidneys. And he's mid thirties, so he's yeah. played a while. Yeah, he hasn't. Geez whiz, he's an offensive lineman who has to put on a grotesque amount of weight right. to be able to maintain his place and hold position. And think about all the pain they're in, and what he's probably taken just to get back out there in the field. For a guy like Richie Incognito, involved in the scandal, obviously a larger than life locker room presence, vociferous as they come. For a guy like this to turn around and say like. Yeah, I know. I talked about like, yeah, it's just shut up and play, and you're like, come on, man up. Like he was the, to me, he was a lot of, in a lot of ways the poster child of like old school football. Yeah, like, yeah. rub some dirt in it. Come right. on, get out there. For him to say, no, uh, uh, I could die. Like b- my doctor told me, I need to stop doing this because my body is shutting down. This does not sound like it's mon- about money. No, it's about La- his health. Lashawn McCoy. I don't think it has anything to do with money. Lashawn McCoy came out and offered him three hundred thousand dollars to keep playing. Which I'm pretty sure you can't. do. I don't think you can do it either. He said, "If we, if I get 1,500 yards, you get 300,000." Uh, I don't think you can supplement. Yeah, like I mean, that. freelance. I mean, you know, Dan, Dan Marino could give Isotoner gloves. Brady can give nice little watches and free admission to TB12. Although I'm sure how, how Coach cheap Belichick does the Isotoner gloves now look? Right, he got them free probably. Tag Heuer watches for everybody. Come well, on. look, I'm just wondering, does this affect Buffalo? The the you know the widespread belief is that Buffalo was moved up once with Cincinnati in order to get the ability to move up again for a quarterback. And what do they have now? They have uh, 12 and 21 or 12 and 22. I believe it's 12 and 21. So, you know, do they have to adjust their their draft plan now to account for 
you know, maybe two significant openings on their offensive line. I don't know. Um, I'd like to be A.J. McCarron making your way up to Buffalo. You don't necessarily – you're dying for a starting opportunity. I, I don't necessarily think it's the Buffalo job you're going to win long term, but maybe you're auditioning for a starting right. gig somewhere else. You don't want to run for your life on no, your audition. You don't have a Buffalo-sized arm given the conditions up there. But, hey, at least you had that tough offensive – wait a second. Yeah. Now you're going to be on the run and knowing – that you're basically a placeholder. Buffalo has the 12th pick, and they have the 22nd pick, correct, from the Chiefs. So yeah. they're stocked. I, you can't... You're not going up for Quentin Nelson, but but I'm just saying, does it affect their how they have to look at, do we need more quantity than quality? I don't think they can trade... If people are thinking, like we just read earlier today, that Buffalo is hosting a private workout with Sam Darnold, okay, cool, unless you're trying to, you know... Lead a smoke, you know, let well, a breadcrumb trail or put some smoke down to. That's if they're going up to two with the Giants. That's, that's what everyone nuts. has theorized all along. They I mean, could for the get Giants, up. it makes all the sense in the world for Buffalo, knowing what they need now. They need a game changing receiver. They need offensive line help. And they absolutely, absolutely cannot waste both of those picks. It's interesting. I think it might change the dynamic a little bit. The other, the other topic that came across the NFL's radar screen this week was really the Andrew Luck uh, shoulder issue came into focus more. Andrew Luck came out basically, I mean, we now know it was torn labrum. He tried to play through the injury in a 2015. Um, it basically admits that if he knew now what he – if he knew then what he knows now, he would have dealt with it differently, would not have tried to gut it out, um, that he, in essence, set himself back by staying on the field. This is tricky. In Indy, everything they do has the you know, the question mark above it. Is it with a full, health, fully healthy Andrew Luck? I don't know if you can say, sitting here right now, that we're going to see Andrew Luck the way we did from 2012 through say 2014 which is first three years three you know three years in the playoffs mm -hmm. i don't know that we can say that it's that much of an open question he's making progress but we don't know where this story is going how about the fact that he said he hasn't thrown a regulation yeah, football hadn't thrown the duke hadn't thrown the duke i mean what's he been throwing nerfs i think he's thrown nerfs has he thrown Something like light? those little uh little ones you pick up at like bob store or mvp or you know like uh, champ sports i mean yeah if i'm now, Ballard's already had enough of a doozy of an offseason, picking one coach, then having to go with another. Granted, we both still think that that's probably the better fit for them going forward with Frank Reich. Do they have to maybe keep cast an eye? Do they, and, and what do they do? Do they draft another quarterback of the future when they have such glaring needs, or do they end up grabbing somebody else like uh, the the dregs or rather the, the whoever's left from your second tier Laletta's yeah Rudolph's I don't see they're taking a quarterback high first of all they got to find out if luck is okay and you're not going to know that on draft night they're not going to know that and two you got Jacoby Brissett there who played pretty well in a well, tough situation but could end up becoming just like a slightly bigger version of AJ McCarron for the Colts he I mean could. Andrew Luck has only played 22 games the last three seasons yeah it's um you know it's it's incredibly I blame Grigson. Up in the air. I blame Grigson 100% because they didn't give him an offensive line, and the guy just took a beating and at some the point, deflate game. They needed to get him off the field for their own good in the future, and I know that's easy to second-guess, but really somebody has to be the adult in the room and say, you know, he may be hurting. I'm not going to say this is a Bo Jackson-style 
downward spiral, but this is going to be... You hope not. Yeah, no, but this is going to be another case of... This could potentially be another case of, damn, we never saw him reach his full potential. Look, he's got a great head you know, on it, his shoulders. He's got a hell of a career outside of football. He'll probably, and a great neck beard. Yeah, yeah, and also one of the best voices going on, too. But, uh, I mean, if for nothing else, the faux Andrew Luck uh, Civil War General Twitter right, account right. alone is What if is it never it. gets better for him? Mm-hmm. And he never goes further than that 2014 AFC title game, and we know what that night was about. They got blown out, but what if that is the biggest game he ever ends up playing yeah. in as an NFL quarterback? That will be kind of tragic in my book. The biggest win in his career can be beating uh, Peyton Manning yeah. in Denver before yeah. getting his doors yep. blown off in New England. Exactly, mm. exactly. Hey, uh, we also want to say a word of... Uh, Thanks, perhaps, to No More Color Rush uniforms. Uh, everybody dress monochromatically and pour one out for Color that Rush. That didn't work in my book. The only thing it worked for was some yucks when, when it was mustard and ketchup night uh, yeah. with the Rams versus Chiefs or whoever that was. And, of course, when the Bills Who was that, the... Kevin? Was that Rams, Chiefs? or There was a mustard, yeah. mustard ketchup night yeah. where everybody made condiment jokes mm-hmm. on Twitter all night long. All night, or mate, was it the Falcons and the the Rams? I can't, I can't remember. remember, but it was the, the <laughs> it was the red and the yellow. But and also, don't forget all the social media fun we had. It was McDonald's? When the Bills came and played the Jets, right? And people pointed out that if you were colorblind, right. everyone looked the exact same. And the league finally said, oh, "We didn't think of that one," uh, and, and admitted that Vinny Testaverde would not have been able to play that night whatsoever. Uh, the only people that benefited from color rush were people that are good at crafting jokes on Twitter and. Pro shops. I'm a uniform guy. I love mm-hmm. classic uniforms. I never saw one color rush where I went, love it, love it. Now, some people liked, was it the Pats or the Bills that wore the all-whites? Patriots wore the all-whites, but they were forced to wear it with the flying Elvis helmet still because the NFL has this weird rule you where can't you can't go, play with new... You, you ha- can't go retro helmet more than four times a year or something. No, well, it's you can't... You have to be able to like peel the sticker off. You have to keep maintain the same helmet <laughs> for like equipment structural integrity. You can't swap helmets out. Silly. Yeah. So the Pats couldn't play with a silver and a white helmet. It's the silliest thing you've ever heard. Other than the socks rule. Um, yeah, I'm not going to bemoan or uh, look back fondly at the color rush era. I'm, no. I'm glad it's passed. Apparently, it's fun for a couple of fans to wear. Now, I personally think you're a sucker if you threw down the ninety nine ninety five for the. For the jersey, but hey, to each his own, right? This next topic isn't worth a lot of time, but I couldn't help. Uh, Wait, would you like to have throwback night, though? Would I would rather... love throwback night. I, I, I have I have actually uh, lobbied and, and used my uh, not-so-lofty platform to uh, um, pound the table for that idea. I think throwback night is a great idea. Everybody, even though Pat the Patriot is associated, we'll say, we'll start there, since that's where we are. Pat the Patriot was associated with nothing but, you know, long lines of traffic. Not making it to the playoffs. Yeah, eighty-six pats. Okay, one, 86 or, one, pats. one or two trips. Yeah, I mean, I lived it. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. But everyone romances. That's one of the great. It, it just looks. Logos. It looks sixty-ish, and I love stuff that yeah. looks sixty-ish. I love the old. I love the old Seahawks ones. The yeah, ones that Dave Craig, the used blue to wear. Oilers. Oil oh. Derek is. And I remember that was the fifty-nine the nothing. They weren't the Baby fifty-nine nothing white. snow yeah. game. It looked great. <laughs> they didn't play great, but they looked great. Kerry Collins looked awesome wearing an Oilers hat, playing for Tennessee, losing fifty-nine nothing in a game that started in snow and finished in I, pouring rain. I still love the old Buffalo standing Buffalo, the little petite OJ Simpson era Buffalo helmet. Um, I I 
I never thought that Broncos should have changed from the snorting horse. Oh, I'd that was great. The snorting horse was a great look for the Broncos with the, with the D out of the D, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm uh, I'm all for uh, throwback night. Um, speaking of Denver, <laughs> so their new punter Marquette King yep. is dissing his old team, Oakland. Who let him go? Sounds like Gruden didn't believe in him, didn't like his act. Very colorful, very uh, outspoken. He's a good punter, um, too. Very good punter. He's going to be a great punter in the thin air of Denver. This is what it's come to in the NFL. We can have a punter playing for revenge. A punter? This fall for Marquette King, it's not just for kicks. It's, you know, I... I, I I, I, I kind of glossed over it, and then I said, wait a minute. We're now talking about a punter who wants revenge. There's only, I mean, yes, you can you can pin him deep. You mm-hmm. can <laughs> call, watch out, Gruden. Cough in corner. I'm going to cough and corner you all day long. I'll leave you on the seven every time. It's kind of silly. It's kind of And also, silly. not only is that storyline silly, but if anything highlights the fact that we fall just into this little, like, We've fallen just into this little valley, this little awkward parabola of no real stories before we crank it up in a week or two and get to the draft on the 26th. It's this, talking about a punter's vendetta. Yeah. it's That's silly season. That's what that is. All right, and another thing is you had a good point on the Josh Rosen coming out and saying I'm the best quarterback in this draft. Right. That led you to, to pine for what? One quarterback to finally just come out. Josh Rosen says he's going to be the best. No, maybe it's Josh Allen who's going to be the best. Mayfield, Mayfield already Mayfield said it. said, I'm the best quarterback in this draft. When will a quarterback finally have the audacity to come out ever so refreshingly and just say, I am comfortable saying that I am the fifth best quarterback in this or, draft? Or, yeah. Fourth or best. Fourth on a good day. If you can't get Rosen, Allen, and Mayfield... Be comfortable knowing I am your long-term developmental project. I feel like our, our friend of the pod, Dan Orlovsky, would have come out oh. and said that. His, his, uh, his if draft If he had here. the platform he has right. now back then, he would have let everyone know, like, guys, when you can't make it, when you can't go out in the town, Netflix and chill with Dan Orlovsky. He would have said, I'm, I'm actually like the 12th or 13th best quarterback in this draft, and I can prove it. You know, <laughs> I, I've got the tape. Uh, Isn't this what everyone is supposed to do? Yeah. I'm the best. Take me. We're, well, that blows up in people's faces a lot of time because you got a quarterback who thinks he's the next big thing. He texts the owners, you know, I'm the right move. We're going to wreck this league. And next thing you know, he's begging for a chance to get back into well, I think we should. Uh, I think we should dive into all things draft now uh, with our guest Gil Brandt. Um, he needs very little introduction, but the guy has been watching drafts for longer than I've been alive. Now, as promised, our guest this morning on the Cover Two podcast with Banks and Stevens is none other than Gil Brandt, aka the Godfather of the Draft. But you know him uh, these days as not only a featured columnist for NFL.com, uh, but a uh, the veteran host of Sirius XM Radio, uh, moving the chains. Gil, you've covered the draft, or I should say you've been part of the draft since I believe 1958 with the Niners, and yet this is the first time uh, you get to stay home and let the draft come to you in Dallas. Give us a sense for what you're expecting. Everything is bigger in Jerry World and in Texas but we were both in Philly last year. I remember seeing you in the hotel lobby um, as you greeted players. They put the bar very, very high in terms of the draft event. I can't imagine beating that, but somehow I expect Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones are going to put on quite the show. Well, you've got to add a name, Peter O'Reilly, to that. Peter O'Reilly is the chairman or the head of the events department of the National Football League. 
And I think that Peter's goal every year is, no matter what city it is in, to have it better than the previous year. And uh, what he's done this year and what the Jones family has done, what the Cowboys have done this year, <clears throat> is monumental. It's, uh, you know, it just, uh, I don't know how you can ever bypass uh, this. It's like uh, building the uh, the largest building in the world and then uh, expecting to build one that's taller is what it is. And that's really what this is. We had a large, large building last year in Philadelphia. Great, great crowds. Uh, the city was a tremendous host. And uh, so now we come to Dallas and AT&T Stadium, uh, 22 players, uh, of which we have five quarterbacks who will all probably be drafted in the first round. Uh, we just have a, uh, a just a bunch of things uh, that fan participation uh, that's right outside the stadium. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to staying home. In the old days, uh, when 1961, right after the uh, 1960 championship game between Green Bay and Philadelphia, uh, we had hauled about three of those big steamer trunks uh, full of uh, full of ring binders uh, to uh, Philadelphia for that draft, the first draft for the Cowboys in the Warwick Hotel. So, so um, this time you don't have you don't have the binders. You don't have uh, 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 as much transportation to do. Do you believe, in some ways, that um, what Dallas does uh, this year with they're going to have a section for each fan base? Correct. All thirty-two right. teams are going to have their own section of the stadium to sit in. Uh, you think that's going to kind of be the the new standard, or is this a one time uh, benefit of, of putting a, a draft in a stadium that seats over a hundred thousand? Well, I think one thing when you have a big a uh, big place to put it in, uh, you can do that. Uh, just imagine if you tried to do that uh, in New York <laughs> uh, when you did it at Madison Square Garden or Radio City or, or uh, the the politicians. Uh, whose name escapes me right now, when we did it one year, uh, all there in, in, in New York City. But, uh, you know, uh, bigger is always better, and it gives more opportunity for people to be there and express their feelings. And, you know, the, the draft has grown to a huge, huge event. You know, I think it's probably the second biggest thing that we do in the National Football League uh, next to the Super Bowl. Hey, uh this is, uh, Gil, this is uh, Don's co-host, Nick Stevens. I've covered the draft a number of times uh, from a fan perspective, outside Radio City, inside, went to Chicago, and I thought it lost a little bit of the energy and the luster, and I feel like they picked up a lot of momentum when they went back to Philadelphia last year. You had the angst and the energy from Philly fans who are super passionate, and now we move to Dallas, like you were saying, the separate sections for the fans. It's going to be bigger and better. Everything's bigger in Jerry World. Do you think it's going to still have that crackling energy that we love from the draft? Because I love tuning in and just hearing the the boos and the cheers, and you and you see people celebrating the rebirth of football. I'm I'm hoping we still have that same energy this year. Well, let me. You know, you mentioned Chicago, and and uh, Chicago was a great venue, uh, but we were really spread out. Uh, we were spread out over that park there in, in Chicago. You know, unfortunately. Uh, we took the right week because the next week it snowed. Uh, but I thought Chicago uh, was was good. Uh, I thought that Philadelphia was outstanding. Uh, I think that uh, people looked at Philadelphia <coughs> with a great deal of reluctance at first. Uh, 
uh, until you got there and, and you saw the venue where it was, uh, the way the city reacted, uh, and the way the crowds reacted. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Gil. I think I was skeptical of Philadelphia and how how it was situated, but it really worked last year. And there was unprecedented excitement for that draft. The great thing about this draft, I happen to agree with you, I don't see how this draft can miss. It's quarterback-driven, which is always a plus. There's absolutely no consensus on what order these guys are going to come off the board. Everyone has their own um, idea of how that's going to happen. I kind of want to jump in. There is an awful lot of buzz right now, and I, I think you've had the same way. You've had Darnold coming off first. I've had Sam Darnold to Cleveland. I'm going to change it. In my latest mock, which I'm going to file this afternoon, I'm going to buy into the Josh Allen buzz to number 1 Cleveland. Tell me, what are you hearing? You, you're as plugged in as anybody on this draft, and you're often right. What are you hearing in terms of the possibility of Josh Allen and not Sam Darnold to Cleveland at 1? Well, I think that's a possibility. You know, this is so interesting because uh, I think the player with the most talent is Allen. I mean, he's, he's big, he's fast, he's smart, he's got a great arm. You know, unfortunately... It, uh, he only completes 56% of his passes, and that uh, that's not going to win many games uh, in the National Football League. Uh, I think that when you talk about Rosen, uh, he's probably the guy that's the most ready to play right now, uh, is what he is. Uh, when you talk to Darnold, uh, there's questions about interceptions. Uh, he threw a lot of interceptions. Turnovers. Uh, turnovers, right. And and uh, when you talk about the Oklahoma quarterback, uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, is he uh, is he a, a guy that uh, uh, is shorter? Uh, but you know when you look at him, he's exactly like Drew Brees coming out. And you know everybody had a lot of apprehension about Drew Brees when he was finally picked in the second round uh, by the uh, San Diego Chargers. Is what it is. So I, I just think that this is. This draft has got so much excitement tied to it. Uh, I think the best player uh, that we've had in a long time, uh, Barkley. I think Barkley is, is is Peterson as a running back. And, you know, Peterson slipped all the way to seven. Uh, maybe that'll happen with him. Yeah. Maybe he'll have the best player going at seven. And uh, I think that Peterson uh, will be a Hall of Famer before anybody that came out in that same draft that he did. I want to ask you, you know, a lot of people obviously are, we're all locked in on the Browns quarterback at one, but there's there's this the other debate is at number four. Will John Dorsey, the Browns' new general manager as of December, will he go Barkley and try to get two cornerstone offensive players to build that franchise, or will he balance it out and go with Bradley Chubb at number four, uh, probably the preeminent defensive player in this draft, and a pass rusher he can pair with last year's number one overall, Miles Garrett. Any any uh, sense for what you think the Browns do at four if the choice is between those two? Well, you can know one thing, that Dorsey may doze, but he never closes. <laughs> and, and by that, I mean this guy never sleeps. He's always thinking of something. You know, just recently, uh, Hogan, uh, a quarterback, to give you an idea, uh, he picked up Hogan as a complete free agent. Uh, what he did is he traded Hogan to Washington, which is his home city, and he picked up eight or nine spaces in the draft. He traded his sixth uh, for Washington's sixth, or uh, I guess the other way around. But anyway, he did pick up 
some additional picks. So the point is that John is a very aggressive thinker. Uh, you know what he pulled off last year at uh, at uh, Kansas City uh, was monumental. Uh, the trade he pulled off to get uh, Smith for a second round pick, uh, and and Smith, the quarterback of Kansas City, ended up winning fifty games for him. Uh, so, and and you know the great thing about what's happening right now is it's creating a buzz, and and the buzz gets greater and greater every day because nobody knows for sure what's going to happen. You know, other years we've had well, Aikman's going to go first. There's no question about Andrew that. Luck's going to go first. No Luck's question about. Luck's going to go first. So they're they're you know when when the commissioner announces Luck, uh, so everybody says yeah well we knew that we got we one that. right in our mock we got it, one it, right uh, is what it is. So I I love what's happening. I think it's uh it's it's great for the league. I think the league needs all the help we can get now because of the fact that declining TV ratings, uh, 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 you know off the field problems. And we really have a great league, uh, is what we have. We have great players in this league, and unfortunately, uh, when we have a, a off-the-field problem with a player, it's a lot greater than if you have an off-the-field pr- problem uh, with a lawyer in his field. Gil, I think we're all excited that the NFL may be attracting some legitimate star power with a number of quarterbacks going in the first round, many of which may be poised for success in the long run. And, of course, that makes the NFL more attractive, more offense, that's sexier, that could lead to ratings. I'm excited. But I also love offense in general. And we're living in the post-Alvin Kamara world where the Saints basically got the number one overall pick in the third round. And we're certain Saquon Barkley's going in the top five. Which running back do you think is going to go next? Do you think an, do we see another running back go in the first round at all? Well, I think that people are going to uh, uh, look at uh, at who is the next uh, Kamara. Uh, I don't think it's guys from LSU, and I and I think that uh, guys of LSU probably has a chance to be uh, the next running back picked. Now, if you ask me. Uh, who has a chance to be the next Camora? Uh, I think you have to look no further than uh, Georgia and Sonny Michelle. Uh, Sonny Michelle is a guy that started very few games, and if you remember, uh, Camora uh, left uh, left a- uh, Alabama, went to uh, went to Tennessee, and didn't win the starting job. Didn't even play hardly at all at Tennessee. Uh, and and uh, my- Michelle has been very very. Uh, statistically good. He's, uh, I think he's gained more yards rushing than uh, uh, two first-round picks from there. Gurley and uh, oh, a guy that went to the 49ers sometime, Hurst. Uh, so I think that he's probably the guy that I would look at uh, and say, can this be uh, the next running back. Gil, last question. Um, I, I think I've read enough of what you've had to say this offseason leading into the draft to know that you, the Pats, the Patriots sitting there at number 31, they obviously have 23 as well. They need an offensive tackle. The Colton Miller, a UCLA kid, he's got a mechanical flaw in that he steps forward in pass protection instead of steps back. Uh, Dante Skarnecki is probably the man to drill that out of him. What do you put Miller and the Pats potentially together at thirty-one? And a quick ten seconds on Leighton Vander Esch, the Boise State linebacker, because a lot of people believe he's kind of a Patriot, uh, quintessential Patriot in the making. 
Well, Van Der Esch is, is an unbelievable player from eight-man football, from a town of 400 people, to a guy that was redshirted probably because he wasn't good enough as a true freshman, uh, to somebody that's going to be a first-round pick and is going to be a real factor uh, as far as a player that's a complete player, can play all three downs, can do everything, uh, is what he is. Uh, on, on the UCLA tackle from Roseville, California, uh, I think that uh, we have him coming to Dallas for the draft. Uh, I think he's a guy that uh, is very much like Nate Solder. Uh, Nate Solder, uh, coming out of Colorado, had been a tight end, and uh, Skarnecki got a hold of him, and all of a sudden he became a very, very good tackle. Uh, you know, I think Skarnecki could probably take you or I, Dan, and, and make an offensive lineman out of him. I should say Don, not Dan. That's right. You know, he's got the same type of body as Solder. He's kind of lanky. He's athletic. A lot of people have made that comparison, Gil. And I think, I, I, I don't know, I, I had him at 31 to the Pats in my most recent dra- mock draft. I don't know where I'm going to put him. He might go higher. I don't think it's out of the question to see him go 23rd to the Pats. Uh, I, I think that's the state of affairs in terms of tackles. There's probably only three offensive tackles that are seen as first-round potential. Gil, want to thank you for your time. Longtime Dallas Cowboys personnel executive, now a featured columnist on NFL.com and a host on the Sirius XM radio, known as the godfather of the draft, and for my money, a Hall of Famer. We wish you the best again, Gil, in, in that pursuit. I believe you belong in Canton, and you will be there someday. Thank you again for being a guest on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Well, thank you very much to both of you for having me. It's a real treat uh, because you're both very knowledgeable football people, and whenever you have an opportunity to be on a program with knowledgeable football people, it's special. Thank you very much, Gil. Have a great draft. The check is in the mail, Gil. Thanks so much. All the best. I'll see you in Dallas. I wasn't just being nice to our podcast guests. I actually do believe that Gil Brandt, as a contributor, and they now have their own separate category in Canton, I think there is very few people as deserving. I'll put Gil Brandt there before I put many NFL owners, and I think there are several NFL owners uh, deserving. But, frankly, Gil Brandt has... Uh, had a active role in this game for a long, long time. I do think he'll get to Canton at some point. I don't know how the backlog is going to go. I wrote about that last August, but uh, I think at some point, uh, God willing, he hangs in there. He's going to be putting on a gold jacket. I told you before, I'll say it again, I think that Gil Brandt should basically be your virtual receptionist, <laughs> right. the ambassador in the Hall of Fame. When you walk into the Hall of Fame... The hologram? Yes, Hologill should greet you <laughs> and welcome you to the Hall of Fame and then guide you through the great history of the NFL because he's truly one of the... He's a maester of the NFL. He's one of the true studied voices of it. I also appreciated what he said because the NFL draft, in addition to just being a geek and loving to watch it and you know going back and forth online with a lot of your social media and Twitter pals that you you know, virtually watch games with, you know, you've seen some, a lot of the internet videos I've done. I love going to the draft. I'm, I'm hoping to make it down there this year, but I know you'll be there. I'm very curious what this scene is going to be like, because he talked about the fact that he thought Chicago was good. I thought it was a little underwhelming. It was too spread out. The problem it, was it was a theater and then everything was outside the park. and it yeah. was separated. And it, it, there, there, there was no connectivity for the fans. Right. And the, it was a very small theater. 
that you could. Yeah, and I, the it, sidewalks were locked off. Yeah, I was in that theater, and you, so you didn't know what was going on nope. outside in this huge plaza, Grant Park across the you street. You could watch it live on a big TV but under the, a huge amphitheater. But tent, that was but, like watching it at home right. if you were in Grant Park. Yeah, and then you could go buy an eight dollar brat and a nine dollar beer, and hey, here's this. You know, right. make sure you pick up the color rush uniforms. Right. I love the energy. In Philly, it was... Philly was great. You could you, cut Nothing it. beats New York. Yeah. Oh, Midtown was just it, alive. I, for the I argue that it City. set the tone for what was to come in Philadelphia, This the 27... It was like the introduction of the 2017 season that turned magical in Philadelphia. Uh, it started we better watch in, out about Philadelphia, It by the started way. in Philadelphia, yep. the 2017 season, and it kind of ended with Philadelphia on top. Yeah, and now think, Villanova won, and now the Sixers look good, too. I know. I know. Damn. Is this we, their year? We still have Gabe Kapler screwing up the pitching. <laughs> okay, but Dallas. Now, some of the things that they're bringing, it's either going to it's either going to work wonderfully and provide a nice alternative for the draft, or be over the top, or or, ju- or just be a gigantic. It's going to be Cutthroat Island. It's yeah. going to be John Carter. It's going to be a two hundred million. I can't imagine flop. Jerry Jerry Jones going over the top on anything. You think no. is that a possibility? Uh, you think it'll sell standing room only? And uh, how many fans do you think will actually be there? You, I don't know. 25,000? Oh, really? no. In the more stadium? than that. Oh, more In than that. In the stadium. Oh, yeah. I I would expect. I don't know. I'd ex- I expect at least twice that. 50,000 people. I just hope the, the seats are ready this time. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Last time they had their biggest. I can't event. believe I, I got obstructed view for the draft. Wait a minute. My seat isn't uh, fully constructed. I, I've spoken before, though, about how I, I love Arlington. Arlington is a sports fan's getaway parrot. If you're going to go anywhere for a weekend as a professional sports fan, the ballpark, or whatever they call the baseball stadium, mm-hmm. with that outrageous food, is right over there. Very comfortable place to watch a game. Jerry World is there. Plenty of outdoor activity, good weather, and 10,000 sports bars all within three baseball throws. Yep. Decent, fun place for the draft. Decent Mexican, as I recall. Yeah. You can find decent Mexican. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it is a sports fan haven, I think. And I think my gut tells me they'll do a pretty good job. And it, it may be gaudy and excessive mm-hmm. in spots, but I bet there's going to be a lot of energy in that building. Um, Are the draft picks going to, like, rappel down to the stage? Are they going to zip line onto the stage? I don't know. Are we all going to be watching the big screens like we do when we cover a Cowboys game <laughs> I instead went to of the watching draft the field? I watch the stage. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I'll bet this. Night one of the NFL draft on Fox this year, 20, April 26th, that is going to outrate the Oscars. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it on like four networks this year yeah. for the first time? It's, it's on, on actually it's on every network. Yeah. It's like everything but CNN has. I think it. HGTV is actually covered. <laughs> All right, you win. You you uh out networked me on that one. Well, I mean the Cowboys are a fixer upper, so uh, life, that's their number one rating. Lifetime, show, I lifetime I has it. Oh boy. I think round seven only. Uh let's let's talk you know, I asked this question of, of Joe Banner in the Q and A I did with him the other day. Um I want your take on this. Cleveland is the obvious choice as the team that has the most on the line this this draft. Uh, clearly, picks one and four. Um, they own you know really the top two rounds. I'm forgetting my my numbers right now, but Cleveland's the obvious choice of they've got all in on this draft, and this is what they've been doing the last two years collecting picks. Who's the next team that has the most pressure? Is it the Patriots with those two firsts and two seconds and the future to build for? Is it the Bills with the two firsts, no clear-cut franchise quarterback, and now needs on the offensive line? Or is it the green and white, gang green, the Jets, who traded up from 6-3, to three, in essence sending 
three second-round picks to the Colts, and now they're going to spend that number three first-round pick on one player. Which which would you go with? I'm going to rank them in order of number one, the Browns. Number two, you can go either way with the New York teams to me. You can go Jets. I'd say I'd say Jets two, yeah. Giants three, Patriots four. Giants. Yes, I, the Giants. The Giants are one or two good draft picks away from getting right back into yeah. it, or one or two missed opportunities in the draft away from being the cellar dwellers of the NFC East. I believe for on a while, a, a minimally talent on a media. Very mediocre roster for several years to come. I'll say the Patriots because they can either reassert dominance with a kick-ass draft. If they boss in this draft, then the AFC has a collective sigh. Oh, great, because if Brady plays it. Ten more years of this. Great. And then number five, the Rams. Here's why. They don't have that many picks in the draft. They don't start to – they have a pick in the third round. We're going to look at it two, three years from now, and if what they've gone for, if the team that they've tried to make now works out, you know – you know, picks be damned. Doesn't matter who we could have gotten. However, if they flame out, not full 2011 Eagles dream team flame out, but let's if they say go ten and six. Here's here's what their flame out might look like. Let's say Akeem Talib 32 gets injured and doesn't really make the impact. Let's say Indomitian Sue gives them one year decent performance, but not dominant. Um, and let's say Brandon Cooks. Let's say Brandon Cooks isn't as good as he was in New England or New Orleans. Right. Um, maybe Marcus Peters is the big hit, but other than that, it's eh. Mm-hmm. That's what a flameout would look like for the Rams. Ten, kinda. six, eleven, and five division. Maybe they make it to the through the divisional round, right? And okay, but when you look back at the picks they traded and who would have been available, you know, three up and three down from there. And if you sort of like you know just play one of those after draft games where you plug those guys in and think, oh well, long term, you really could have used this linebacker or this safety. Or this receiver and shouldn't have given up those picks. So that's why I got my eye on them. I I think I'd have to go with the Jets as the team that is next most under pressure. And I, uh, this is what Joe Banner said. And I agree with him. They in essence are trading four or using four picks for one player, three seconds, and then using that number three. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. If you don't get the quarter, if you get the quarterback who truly does become <laughs> their next Joe Namath, then that that's a steal. But if they get Another, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Richard Todd, uh, and or even Ken O'Brien. Well, if they get another Chad Pennington, which yeah. is like fine. Well, at least he took him to the playoffs a he few did. times. So he, twice. Yeah. Twice. Mm, uh, yeah. I mean, twice. Yes. Yeah. I think won the division Herm, in two thousand two. Herm, Herm Edwards, and then w- they made it back in two thousand six, and they lost in the wild card round to the Patriots. So two yeah. appearances, and then of course Pennington went a third time with the Dolphins. Right. They and, need to get a difference oh, maker for this deal. To, to be worth. Doesn't have to be Joe Namath. He just no. has to be a good good football player. No, just has to be Joe, a good quarterback. Joe's like seventy five now. Anyway, yeah. he couldn't play. No. Uh, I wanted to ask you real quick before we wrap things up. Uh, did you get a chance to see Paterno? No, I want to. I'm going to watch it on demand on Will HBO. You? Yeah, I definitely. I read about. I read two or three reviews, and I thought the reviews were interesting in that they said, you know, really no. There's no hero in this story, which is what I love about it because uh, there isn't a hero in the story. There wasn't. You know, they can't definitively say he 100% knew, he 100% didn't, but it paints a pretty accurate picture. I thought it was surprising to read. It paints a pretty accurate picture of kind of a guy who had stayed in his job too long and was a little doddering towards the end because that was kind of apparent. Is it's, that is that yes, what your take a hun- was? A hundred percent. First of all, one of the I, I put it in the five best Pacino performances. He really? Is, 
great. Please tell me it's better than his last football coaching performance in any given Sunday, which I thought was one of the most hide-your-eyes, horrendous, rotten tomatoes performance I've ever seen in it, my life. It, it was, but it was so bad that it was great. It was, it was so bad it was awful. It was like, it was. what if his performance from the Devil's Advocate could make its way into the locker get, room? We're going to get Don a Sharks jersey. Hoo-ha! Oh, Hoo-ha! We're just going to go out there and win that football game. It was awful. He was the worst football coach I've ever oh, seen. Ever. The most unbelievable football coach. He was Al Pacino coach. playing Al Pacino as a football coach. But in the last 20-some-odd years of Al Pacino's career, he's either been Al Pacino playing Al Pacino as, or you get the occasionally brilliant, nuanced, subtle, perfor- subtle performance like, I think, his best performance in his career, Donnie Brasco. I love, 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 love that movie, love that performance. Gave but, me, it gave me a nickname, too, so I appreciate that. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's, that's right. what Peter King calls me, Donnie Brasco. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Uh, sorry about what happens to you in the that's end. That's okay. I, I always feel sad whenever you take your I don't feel bad for Johnny off. Depp. I no. really don't feel bad for Johnny Depp. But he's great in Paterno, and he does play the sort of like slightly clueless, focused, yeah. s- simple-minded man who, who Tunnel vision his for welcome. his job. Ton- yes, that's all he has. And you sympathize with him. For the majority of the movie, then you get mad at him, but then you feel bad about getting mad at him because you realize he may or may not have ever really been capable of seeing beyond the periphery of his profession. So they kept it complicated rather than simplified it. It's both. It's both. It's a simple view of a complicated matter. Okay. And it's a. It almost could be a play because it takes place. The majority of it takes place either in his. How about Glenn house? Gary, Glenn Ross as as uh, comes to Penn State. <laughs> Coffee is for closers. Uh, I think you should watch. I think it's a a really, I think it's a very well-made movie. And uh, you don't walk away with the answers. What what answers do you want? We all know what an absolute monster, what a horror show of a human being. And we know a lot of people obviously must have looked the other way at some level. do Do we need an epic performance from... Somebody as Sandusky. I mean, we know what a dis- what a reprehensible human he was. Yeah. What we need to see was what was going on with this controversial figure who was so iconic. I'll tell you who you end up walking away from this movie hating the the sycophantic Penn State fans who just defended him ad nauseum yeah. at the moment and then to the even to this day, like people take your blind like get out of Happy Valley, take your blinders off and realize that's w- almost the imme- almost.